0: So if you would go with me to Mark chapter five this morning to Mark five, beginning in verse one, I'm going to read down to verse 20. And there is no way possible for me to actually cover that many verses, though it's one narrative, one story. But I do want to break it here at verse 13, if the Lord wills and uh, focus in on what we see in these first 13 verses in particular. But I, I need to read the entirety of the text for us to understand the context, beginning in verse one, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country and people came to see what was what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there. Clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how. He has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is a fascinating narrative for us to behold this morning. It displays the the power and the mercy of our Savior in spectacular ways. But it begins really back in chapter 4 with what I covered last time. We see at the end of chapter 4... That Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and the storm hits and they then see this miraculous work of Christ where he calms the storm in a spectacular way. And then they spend the rest of the time traveling on to the shore across the way. And it was at night. They came to this shore, and I'm sure that this boat ride was one that they would never forget to begin with. But when they came to this, or this the shore, they came after coming out of a, an amazing storm at sea. And we learned something about how this storm and how Jesus's power displayed there actually affected these men. And this is something that we should never forget. They, they saw great fear in their hearts whenever the storm hit. But when Christ settled the storm, there was a greater awe and fear that came over them. At the end of chapter 4, it says that they were filled with great fear after Jesus calms the storm. And as a result of that, they begin to ask each other, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Now, I could just imagine that this, this fear and this awe that came over them at that moment didn't leave quickly, right? They were in this boat with him, and the, the water became still and silent, And I think as they continued on their journey to the other side and they silently rode across this glassy lake to the beach there in the dark at night, I believe that they were still all the way across pondering that weighty question. Who then is this? And I'm sure that they were still in shock in many different ways. And when they were. Coming to the land and they beached there, I'm sure they were relieved when they hit the dry land and glad to be out on it and not on the sea any longer. And I'm equally sure that they didn't expect what was about to happen next. What we see happen next is they find themselves in a different kind of storm on dry land in this dark and demonized Gentile region. They come to a storm here in chapter five that they had never seen before. The storm in chapter five, it was not a natural storm, but rather a demonic or spiritual storm. And it swept down on them in much the same way as the storm on the sea. It swept down on them violently and powerfully. Just look at verses one and two. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, a primarily Gentile country. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately is the word that Mark uses. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. That is a demon, fallen angel. And it seems that when you read this, there is no pause from the time that Jesus gets out of the boat and hits dry land. And this man takes notice of the one who has landed there to threaten his kingdom. His feet hit the shore and then there was an eruption of a demonic storm that took place. Can you just imagine the scene? Immediately, he says, when they get out of the boat in the darkness of night. This is when this is taking place. In the darkness of night, immediately they hear the screams of a demonized man. And then they see him. They see a naked, blood-stained, and scarred, covered maniac rushing down on them with violent intent. Like I said, they had never seen anything like this in any synagogue. This is unique here. This was something that was surprisingly unique. It, it shocked and terrified these men. It, it should have terrified anyone who would see this kind of demonstration of evil contained in one person. It shocked them all except for one. There was one there who was not shocked whatsoever by this event and the storm that came bearing down on them. And that one is Jesus The son of God. And here's why he wasn't shocked. First John 3, 8 tells us why. In first John 3, 8, at the end of it, we learn why Jesus was unshaken and unshocked by this demonic confrontation. It says here that the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And back in Mark 5, we are being given an immediate illustration of this. Here we learn Mark's very reason for writing and recording this demonic storm that we see taking place here. This storm takes place to put Jesus's eschatological promise and power on full display for all of us to see. It puts it on display because this violent storm reveals something about Jesus they had not seen before. Just like when they were on the sea. This violent storm revealed Christ's sovereign and supreme authority over demons, over the unnatural world, the spiritual realm. And not only did it do that, it also revealed something they hadn't quite seen either in the way in which Jesus reacts to the demoniac himself. This violent storm revealed the freeing power of the salvation that Jesus brings to the most helpless of men. So before we get into this very much further, let me let me make something really clear about what Mark is saying and what he's not saying. This is not a a a theological paper on on what it means to be demon possessed or how to be demon possessed or how to be exercised. If you are demon possessed, that's not what this is about. This is this is a narrative that's that's not meant for us to focus in on the power of demons. That's not the point. It's not given to us to explain the nature of demon possession. That's not the point. This narrative is given to us in order to help us focus on the omnipotent power and authority of Jesus over all things, including demons. And this narrative helps us see that it helps us see just how desperate this man would have been, this desperate condition that this man was in. And it helps us to see the desperate condition of all mankind apart from Jesus's merciful intervention. Church, there's there's so much held out here to give us hope in this text. This account is given to display the merciful and gracious one, the one that arrived on the shore at night to calm a demonic storm by displaying his divine authority over Satan's power and mankind's salvation. Saints, that same Jesus appeared on our shore 2000 years ago to do the very same thing. Just just think about, as we look at the text, just think about the Son of God and his great mercy in the very moment that we're seeing this take place. He had just crossed the Sea of Galilee. Why was he going across? He didn't tell them. He simply said, take me across to the other side. What he's doing, though, is he's, he's simply revealing to them something about himself in this. And he's also bringing hope to a hopeless man in a dark country. He crossed the Sea of Galilee to display his authority and reveal his mercy to one man. One man. But Oh, look at this man's condition was like he was enslaved by sin and Satan's power. Now, I find great encouragement in this because the Savior came a long ways to do the same for us. Those of us who are and have been enslaved by sin and Satan's power. And I hope that you know that Christ will do the same for you if you are still enslaved by sin. And in many ways, all of us can understand and sympathize with this demoniac. For in many ways, we are just like this man before Christ intervened. We were dead in our sins, following Satan's direction. But then Ephesians 2 tells us, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, sent Jesus to the shore of. Of our life to deliver us from evil. This story, this demoniac story here is given to us by Mark to help us see not just the glory of Jesus, but the state of our own spiritual condition before Jesus mercifully intervened and delivered us from sin and Satan's power. In that way, this text is given to us as Christians so that we can exalt Jesus and give him praise. Look how Mark describes this man's desperate condition in verses three to five, he takes a break from the arrival to give us some insight into this man's desperate and hopeless condition. He, he, he describes him as one who came out of the tombs in verse two, and he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a what a wretched picture this is of what sin and Satan does to a man or a woman. And listen, as you as you as you look at that text, this is what you need to understand about this description. This could have been you. This was you to some degree. And so when you when you look at this description, Mark's telling you to look at this description so that you would be humbly amazed at your own deliverance, your own salvation, because this description of this man should echo in your own heart as one that described you before conversion, before Christ entered on the shore of your life and displayed his glory and drew you to himself. The description of this man, when you read it and you don't separate the Savior's mercy from this demoniac's misery, here's what you begin to see, something that's very, I think, eye-opening to me. This man is both terrifying, that's very clear. No one could bind him. He had great spiritual power at work in him that he could do the supernatural. He could do things that we couldn't do. But it's not just terrifying when you read this. This man's condition is heartbreaking. Think about why it's heartbreaking. Think about this. This man was someone's son, maybe someone's brother, one who had been loved by someone at one point in time and embraced. But now he was exiled and he was enslaved by evil. He was now, according to this text, self-destructive. He was dominated by evil impulses. And notice where he lives. He lives in the tombs. What an evil and depressing place that would be. And as a result of living among the dead, It was likely that he would be riddled with disease as he lay there among the decaying corpses. He was a living dead man. He looked like one and he smelt like one. Sin had permeated every bit of his being. Satan's power was leading to destruction, to destroy the image of God in this man and distort it. In verses three to five, we see the darkness of evil and the shadow of death looming over this man. And where he dwells. In verse 3, we notice where he lives. He lives again, as I said, among the dead. He must have had a defiled and decaying odor wherever he went. In verse 4 indicates that at some times, at differing times, he must have at least had some form of rationality. He must have had some form of clarity. And in that time, he allowed people, others around him, to chain him for their protection and for his but the change couldn't restrain the evil within this man. Then in verse five, we see the self-destructive nature of this evil within him. And he was, as it says, crying out night and day in misery, cutting himself, simply doing this to find a way to be set free from evil's presence. But he couldn't do it. He nor others around him had the strength to subdue the evil within him. Church, this this well describes man's inability to find freedom and peace on his own, in his own strength. This man, his whole life was full of hopeless effort and engulfed in spiritual darkness and bondage. And here Mark is helping us understand this man's truly hopeless condition apart from Jesus. This man's condition, I think, also helps us to see what sin leads to. If Christ doesn't intervene, sin leads to separation from God, exile, sin destroys all hope in life. It leads to destructive behavior and sin ultimately leads us to the grave. Sin puts us in bondage. It enslaves us. And here in Mark five, we learned that that something I think is very important for us to grasp And something we should praise God for in the sense that we have recognized this in ourselves. But here we learn that no human power or effort could restrain the sin in this man or set him free from its power. No human power could do this. It couldn't be done by his own effort, by others around him, by his exercise of energy and his will. Nothing could do this until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, appeared and drew this wicked man to himself, and that 's what we see happen in mark five six We see Jesus show up on the shore to give hope to a hopeless man. Look at verse six. Just notice how quickly we go, even from verse two, if you jump from two down to six that 's actually one continued thought, and when he saw Jesus. From afar, he ran and fell down before him. This desperate man falls before him. Now, I don't know that he was coming there to worship him. I think he was coming there to attack him. I think he is simply compelled to fall before him because of what God is doing through this confrontation. What happens in verse 6 is something I think that we could probably, in some sense, categorize as a picture of irresistible grace. I think we could categorize it that because as that because the demons, though the man didn't know who Jesus was, the demons did. They immediately recognized Jesus's holy presence on this dark shore that they had inhabited. And even though they I don't believe that they were coming down to worship Christ, they did know they must submit to him when he appeared. They must bring their hearts, if you will, low before him, for he is in control of them. But providentially and gloriously, that's not all that happens because Jesus had a plan for this event. Not just that demons would bow. They're going to bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus is Lord. He knew that would happen. But he also determined in this that these demons would bring an enslaved man with them to the feet of Christ. He did that because ultimately that's why Jesus journeyed across the sea. This was his merciful plan from the beginning. He came to this dark shore for the sake of one hopelessly enslaved man. What what a merciful and powerful savior we have in Christ. He did that for us. Think about your conversion. Think about what he did to pursue you and to draw you to himself and then save you by his work and save you to be glorifying to him to bring him honor and praise throughout your life and be of testimony to his power. That's what Mark wants us to see when we read this text. In verse 6, he wants us to see that when, when our Savior arrived on the shore here, he, he turned the tables on the demons. They had been the ones in control of this man up to this point. They had been dominating him. But now when they see Jesus, they must come and submit to his domination his authority over them. And it appears like, as I said, the demoniac himself, he didn't know who Jesus was in his mind, but the demons did. So the demoniac does what the demoniac had been doing throughout this time. When visitors came, he would rush down on them to violently attack them. That's what he seems to be doing here. But these demons that were inside of this man, they knew exactly who Jesus was. And when he rushed down to bring violence in a storm of hate and evil, these demons in Christ's presence had to bow and declare who he is, though grudgingly with teeth clenched. They still had to praise his name. Notice the agony that's going on in this man's even his his description here of his cry. He cries out in verse seven with a loud voice and said, what are we to do with you? What have you to do with me? Rather, Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. In verse six, we see him fall. In verse seven, we see a cry come out. Now, this cry actually is described in the in the Greek text as more of a, a scream came out before He spoke. There was a war taking place in this man, and this evil was trying to come out and do what it intended, but they could not do it because Jesus, the Son of God, had appeared, and they must bow. Now picture that you're with the disciples at this moment. Just imagine what you're thinking. You just came out of one storm. Now you're in a whole other kind of storm, and you're really not sure what's going on. You just got out of the boat. And this crazed maniac came down with violent intent and then falls on his face before Jesus. He answers the very question they had been asking in the boat. This demon-possessed man answered the question that they had been asking. Who then is this? He is the son of the Most High God. That's what the man said because the demons in this man knew exactly who he was and they had to confess it. We see that in verse 7. Then in verse 9, we move from... Their confession and their declaration about who Jesus is to Jesus's question. In verse nine, Jesus asked a question for a very intended purpose. He asked this question, not because he didn't know the answer. He did. He certainly did. He's omnipotent and omniscient. He had the power and the the knowledge of who this was. But he asked the question to make sure everyone else knew who was speaking through this man. So he asked the question. In verse 9, he asked the demon his name. Look at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Talk about schizophrenic. Talk about confusing. Talk about enslaving. When the the demon answers Jesus' question and reveals the name of this presence in this one man, The demon, in reality, is revealing the intensity of this man's desperate condition. The demon confesses that they are legion, implying they are many, they are unified, they are powerful, and they are bent on destroying this man. In the Roman world, the term legion was very familiar Jesus would have understood this term, the disciples understood the term, and it was used in reference to Roman soldiers, a Roman army, and basically it encapsulated 6,000 foot soldiers plus horsemen. And Mark isn't trying to tell us that there were literally 6,000 demons in this man. That's not the intent. But what he is telling us is this. There were many in this man dominating him. And they were intent on destroying him. They were unified in their purpose. They wanted to do whatever they could do to distort the image of God in this man. And if they couldn't do that, destroy him from existing. Again, saints, this this would have been an absolutely shocking moment in time. Imagine if you're the disciples, you're sitting there and you hear this man speaking with his eyes ablaze, his teeth gritted. And then this voice coming out that was almost unearthly. It would have been a shocking revelation to them. But the answer of the demon didn't shock Jesus. It didn't worry him in the least. Look how Jesus responds to the man's answer. This, is, this would have been like an amazing statement that would just shock you to hear this man say that they are legion in verse 9. There's a host of demons dominating this man. But that's not how Jesus responded. He didn't respond in shock and awe here. He actually, if you go back and look at it, verse 8 Responds like this. Come out of the man you unclean spirit. Jesus simply responds to this host of demons. By divinely commanding them all to come out. By the word of his power. And he does that so that this, this tormented man and all who see this. All who read this will see clearly who alone is in control of this event. Do you see it? Do you see the glory of our savior, our deliverer in this? Do you see what Jesus is doing in the story? He's revealing what he said in chapter three. He's revealing that he came to set captives free and bind the strong man and then plunder his house. He's putting it on full display. The very thing he had just taught them. He's saying, look, I'm doing this. His kingdom had come. He's reigning. He's working. He's working. He's promising and in a greater degree when he comes again, he'll complete this work and remove all those strong men, all those evil influences from the earth. Jesus is using this providential encounter with this man to reveal something spectacular, to reveal the glory of his true nature. And he's doing that so that all who have eyes to see can now clearly see that he has the power to destroy the works of the evil one. And he has the mercy to set spiritual captives free. I mean, what a merciful and powerful deliverer we have in Jesus, the son of God. There's no other religious figure in history that can come close to what we see in Christ. He is truly God and truly man, truly powerful over all things, including demons and truly merciful to those who are spiritually oppressed. He has both the power and the compassion that we need today, even as we still find ourselves in a storm with spiritual enemies He can still do what he did here. He can still bind our enemy. He can still destroy sin's enslavement. And he can still grant us eternal freedom and peace. And he can still draw us to himself, just like he does with this man here, irresistibly. Notice that in Mark 5, that Jesus is the one that the demoniac was irresistibly drawn to on that stormy night. And here's something you need to think about. Are you drawn to him? Are you born again? Are you still enslaved by sin? Are you tired and tormented by the storm of sin in your life? If you are, look to Christ. He has the power and the mercy to set you free from sin's power and penalty. Because he is the all-sufficient and glorious one. In verses 10 to 13, we see how powerfully our savior truly is look at verses 10 to 13 after the demon responds here's what takes place in verse 10 and he begged him begged jesus earnestly notice this dominating force over this man is now reduced to begging it's reduced to begging in the presence of the true king he begged him earnestly do not send them out of the country and now a great herd of pigs Was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. In verse 10 we find this spokes demon for the host of demons. Within this man, this this spokes demon is now begging with Jesus to not cast them out, but rather send them into a herd of pigs. And then we see that Jesus allows this request. But this is intentional. This was his plan from the beginning. He allows this request to illustrate again his sovereign authority over them and his mercy toward this man. Look at verse 13 again. He gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about two thousand rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned. What a horrific sight this must have been. What a startling and shocking sight this must have been. Here we see unclean spirits come from this man out of him and immediately enter into some two thousand pigs. And then what do they do? They rush headlong right down a cliff and are drowned in the sea. Can you just imagine this scene in your mind? Can you imagine how the man who had been delivered was seeing this scene at the moment? In one moment, this demon possessed and tormented man is listening to a host of demons speaking through him, begging Jesus through the use of his own vocal cords. And then all of a sudden, the next moment, we we suddenly find that there is an immediate sense of peace. And transformation that takes place as the demons depart from this man's body at the command of Jesus, our Lord and our deliverer. And it happens that way in order that Christ's glory and his mercy would be put on full display for all to see in this dark and demonized land. Saints, he still does that today. He brings peace to those he delivers. And he does that for an intentional purpose. We can see that when you get to the end of this narrative in verse 20. The man doesn't get to go with Jesus in the boat and he wants to. We would all want that. But Jesus had a divine plan from the beginning to leave him there as a witness to the Gentiles, as a testimony to his love, his power and his mercy. In chapter six and seven, you can see Mark that that ministry was very fruitful and effective. When Jesus comes back to that shore at that moment, when he arrives, instead of being asked to depart, they welcome him, they want him, they bring the sick, and he heals them. And then he feeds a great multitude as they gather around him. They're ready to hear him because God had a plan from the beginning in sending Jesus across the sea for one hopeless man. Now, sometimes when we read this passage, this is what really bogged me down a little bit this week, and it was really kind of frustrating because I was looking at all these commentaries about this narrative and this this portion in particular about why did the demons go into the pigs and why did, you know, they die and why didn't he just, you know, punish them? I mean, there was all these these ideas that flow out of this text by some. I don't think that's even the intent of Mark at all. I don't think that that's God's intent in giving us this revelation, not to glorify demons or to even focus on them. What I can say that I think is true in this narrative about this event is that here in this text, as it's revealed to us, it seems like to me there's a great illustration of what was going on inside the man's life when these demons are cast into these pigs. It seems like the pig's reaction to the demon's presence serves as a very clear and vivid Example to us about what the demons had intended from the beginning for this man. It reveals the demons' evil and destructive desire that drove them and all that they did as they even penalized and persecuted and tormented this individual here in the text. When the demons enter these pigs, look what happens immediately. I mean, it's immediate. In verse 13 again, they rush down the steep bank into the sea. And we're drowned in the sea. 2,000 pigs. What a display of the nature of demons that we see here. What we see happening here, though, is these pigs, as they're being filled with this spirit, these spirits, these legion of demons, they panic. And they plummet to their death. And in that, we are allowed to see the destructive nature that tormented this man night and day. That he could not find relief from on his own. They had desperately tried to destroy and distort the image of God in this man. But when Jesus shows up. When Christ appeared to him. Jesus rescued him. And then Jesus restored him. Restored his mind and his body and his soul. Just imagine in a few moments what the disciples were thinking here. He went from a storm to authority of Christ being on display to peace and a troubled man's heart. Their mouths must have been gaping open in shock, but Jesus wasn't. He wasn't surprised or distracted from the very mission that he intended to do there in this land. Just, just imagine Jesus looking down at this tormented and tortured man and the the wickedness that had covered him and filled him and drove him and tried to destroy him. And then Jesus calling these demons to come out of him. And then Jesus looking into that man's eyes at that moment of transformation. Imagine the loving eyes of Christ locked in on this man as he is transformed into the image of Jesus amidst all the chaos. Jesus wasn't distracted. He wasn't distracted in the least. He wasn't distracted because he knew that he had the power. When he got there, he knew he had the power to end the storm of destruction in this man's life. He was not surprised at all about the chaos that ensued in the pigs. He was looking at the peace that he brought to the man. Folks, as as I read this text and I try to think through it and think about how we should approach it, Here's what I think that we ought to think about this morning. This same Jesus has the power to end the destructive storm of sin in your life. He has been mightily revealed to us here for this purpose to show us that he came to deliver us from sin's power and grant us a sound mind. Peace with God. And I want you to find hope in that this morning. I want you to find hope in that this morning when you find yourself like the disciples in the middle of a spiritual storm. When things seem out of control and chaotic and you wonder why God brought me here. You can have great comfort in knowing that your sovereign deliverer is with you in that storm. And he will even use it to make you an ambassador of his grace in the midst of chaos. That's what happens with this man. And I hope that we can see That Christ is not just able to do this for those who are caught in a spiritual storm. He is willing to do that. We see that with this man. No one forced Jesus to go across the lake to this man. This was his desire. He longed to be glorified through the redemption and transformation of this tormented man. To display his power over the supernatural, the spiritual realm. He does that for us. Every conversion is a testimony to Jesus' sovereign authority and his merciful grace. I hope that you see that. I hope that you see that Jesus is willing and able to set you free from the bondage of sin today. Listen, I know many of you are born again, but it doesn't mean you don't fight with sin. It doesn't mean that it doesn't wrap itself around your heart To destroy you and distort the image of God in your life. And Jesus wants us to know in this text that he came for this purpose. Not just to redeem you, but to sanctify you and bring you to himself. Bring you to this right knowledge of who he is and grant you what you need most in the midst of the storms of life. And what we need most is faith in his sovereign power. Even in the midst of the most violent of storms. We need to have faith in him. He is sovereign over this. He is directing the events of our life for our good and his glory. And we should have great comfort in that, in knowing what he tells us here in Mark 3 and in Mark 5, that he came to destroy the works of Satan and plunder the enemy's house and mercifully deliver us from sin's power and penalty through his mercy. Friends, the demoniac here in in Mark 5 didn't just need deliverance from demons he needed the merciful deliverer of sinners we need him as well in the midst of our spiritual battles so this morning be encouraged by that next time as we come back to mark we'll pick up in verse 14 and look at the response of the people who witnessed this great transformation of a hopeless man's condition so we would this. pray together And give thanks for this revelation to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your glorious power that's on display in our Savior and Deliverer, Jesus Christ. We pray that as we ponder afresh passages, narratives that we may know well, that we have read time and again, that you would open our eyes to see your point, your purpose for these revelations, which is to magnify The work of Jesus, the Son of God. Help us to submit to these revelations in a way that that we will bring you praise. That we will respond with thanksgiving. That we will respond with repentance of sin and conviction of sin. And that we would put our faith fully and totally in the work of our Savior. And rest in his sovereign plan for our life and protection. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.